On this timeout edition of The Audible, Marco knocks it out of the park in Miami at the last Republican debate before the Florida primary. We have all the highlights and more on this timeout edition of The Audible, a quick update from the official podcast of Marco Rubio for President. Thursday night was debate night in Miami, and Marco showed the nation why Florida sent him to the Senate. The first topic was free trade. No, I support free trade deals that are good for America. We're 5% of the world's population. If all we do is sell things to each other, we can only sell to 5% of the people on Earth. We have to have access to the hundreds of millions of people in the world today who can afford to buy things. The problem is we are a low-tariff country. To import something into the United States is not very expensive. But many of these countries we can't export to because their tariffs are too high. And so I'm in favor of deals that allow us to bring down those tariffs so that America can sell things to all these people around the world. There are good trade deals and there are bad ones. So, for example, here in Florida, we have benefited greatly from the free trade deal with Colombia. It's allowed flour exporters to come into the United States, but it's created jobs for millions of, for hundreds of people who are now delivering those flowers and working in that industry. We have a surplus with Colombia. On the other hand, you've seen trade deals like in Mexico that have been less than promising in some aspects, better in others. Bottom line, I, w- I believe that America, if given access to foreign markets, our workers are the most productive in the world, our people are the most innovative on this planet. If it is a free and fair trade deal, we compete against anyone in the world, and we need to in the 21st century. Senator Cruz. The debate then shifted to Social Security, an important issue to a lot of Floridians, and an issue Marco has a plan for. Senator Rubio, you argue Americans your age must have an honest conversation about making Social Security sustainable. For people under 55, you want to raise the retirement age and also reduce benefits for wealthier Americans. So what should the new retirement age be, and how much will those benefits be cut? Well, first of all, let me say that uh, you're right. There are about 3 million seniors in, the United, in Florida with uh, Social Security and Medicare. One of them is my mother, who happens to be here today. I'm against any changes to Social Security that are bad for my mother. And we don't have to make any changes for them. But anyone who tells you that Social Security can stay the way it is, is lying. Any politician that goes around saying, we don't have to do anything, all we have to do is raise a few taxes or just leave it the way it is, they're not being honest with you. Social Security will go bankrupt, and it will bankrupt country with it. So what it will require is people younger, like myself, people that are 30 years away from retirement, to, make, to accept that our Social Security is going to work differently than it did for my parents. For example, Instead of retiring at 67, the way I'm supposed to retire, I'd have to retire at 68. If I were still in the Senate, I'd be one of the youngest people there. Uh, If I've made a lot of money, my Social Security benefit will not grow as fast as someone who made less money. And by the way, Medicare could very well become the option of using my Medicare to buy a private plan that I like better. Medicare Advantage does that now. These are not unreasonable changes to ask of someone like myself, who is 25 or 30 years away from retirement, in exchange for leaving the program undisturbed for the people that are on it now or about to retire and ensuring that we do not bankrupt our country and that this program still exists when my children retire, when my grandchildren retire, when I retire. Senator, the question was specific, though. You've made your plan very clear about generally what you want to do, but how high would the retirement age well, go, and how much would you cut those right, benefits? I'm sorry I didn't answer that part. So the thing is that under my, my generation, someone my age would retire at 68. We would continue to allow it to increase the retirement age for future generations until it hits 70. 
And so my children would retire at 70. I would retire at 68. It would be a graduating scale over a period of time. But again, I'm talking about people like myself and Ted who are 45 years old, we're years away from retirement. For people that are on it now, we don't have to change it at all. If we don't do anything, we will have a debt crisis. It's not a question of if, it is a question of when. In less than five years, only 17% of our budget will remain discretionary. 83% of the federal budget in less than five years will all be spent on Medicare, Medicaid, the interest on the debt. That's it. All of it will be eaten up by that. That's a debt crisis, and, the, and it will be debilitating to our economy, and our children deserve better than to inherit a debt crisis. And in one of the most tweeted moments of the night, Marco took on Trump for his anti-Islam rhetoric. Well, let me say... I know that a lot of people find appeal in the things Donald says because he says what people wish they could say. The problem is presidents can't just say anything they want. It has consequences here and around the world. And so let me give you one. Two days ago, I met this extraordinary couple who are on furlough because they're missionaries in Bangladesh. It's a very tough place to be a missionary. It's Muslim. And their safety and security very much relies upon friendly Muslims that live alongside them. That may not convert, but protect them and certainly look out for them. And their mission field really are Muslims that are looking to convert to Christianity as well. And they tell me that today they have a very hostile environment in which to operate in because the news is coming out that in America, leading political figures are saying that America doesn't like Muslims. So this has a real impact. There is no doubt that radical, uh, radical Islam is a danger in the world. I can also tell you that if you go to any national cemetery, especially Arlington, you're going to see crescent moons there. You're going to, if you go anywhere in the world, you're going to see American men and women serving us in uniform that are Muslims. And they love America. And as far as I know, no one on this stage has served in uniform in the United States military. Anyone out there that has the uniform of the United States on and is willing to die for this country is someone that loves America, no matter what their religious background may be. Mr. Trump. Marco talks about consequences. Well, we've had a lot of consequences, including airplanes flying into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and could have been the White House. Uh, there have been a lot of problems. Now, you can say what you want, and you can be politically correct if you want. I don't want to be so politically correct. I like to solve problems. We have a serious, serious problem of hate. There is tremendous hate. There is tremendous hate. We're large portions of a group of people, Islam. Large portions want to use very, very harsh means. Uh, let me go a step further. Women are treated horribly. You know that. You do know that. Women are treated horribly, and other things are happening that's, that are very, very bad. Now, I will say this. There is tremendous hatred. The question was asked, what do you think? And I said, there is hatred. Now, it would be very easy for me to say something differently. And everybody would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Mr. Trump, we better you. We better solve the problem before it's too late. Senator but, Rubio. But here we go. See, I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm interested in being correct. And in, and, and in order to be correct on this issue, here's the bottom line. We do work. There is. Islam. Islam has a major problem on its hands. It has a significant percentage of its adherents, particularly in the Sunni faith, but also in the Shia, who have been radicalized and are willing to fly planes into a building and kill innocent people. There is no doubt about that. It is also true that if you look around the world at the challenges we face, we are going to have to work together with, other, with Muslims, 
who, do not, who are not radicals. We're going to have to work with the Jordanian kingdom. We're going to have to work with the Saudis. We're going to have to work with the Gulf kingdoms. We're going to have to work with the Egyptians to defeat, for example, ISIS. It will take a Sunni Arab movement to defeat them. And so I think you can be correct without needing to be politically correct. We are going to have to work with people in the Muslim faith, even as Islam itself faces a serious crisis within it Thank of you, radicalization. Senator. Governor Kasich. Then Marco drew a sharp contrast between himself and Trump on support for Israel. But let me go back for a moment. The policy Donald has outlined, I don't know if he realizes, is, is an anti-Israeli policy. Maybe that's not your intent, but here's why it is an anti-Israeli policy. There is no peace deal possible with the Palestinians at this moment. There just isn't, because there's no one to negotiate with. The Palestinian Authority is not interested in a serious deal, and they are now in union with Hamas, an organization whose specific purpose is the destruction of the Jewish state. Every time that Israel has turned over territory of any kind, be it Gaza or now in Judea and Samaria, it is used as a launching pad to attack Israel. And that's what will happen again. These groups are not interested in a deal with Israel. What they are interested in is ultimately re removing the Jewish state and occupying its entire territory. So maybe in 30 years the conditions will exist, so Mr. Trump, but they do not exist now. Governor, okay, and to have a president forcing the Israelis to the table is harmful to Thank Israel you, and emboldens Israel's enemies. Mr. Trump, a response, and we'll go to Governor Kasich. But one of Marco's best moments of the night came when the discussion turned to President Obama's changing U.S. policy towards Cuba. Listen to this exchange. So I don't agree with President Obama. I do agree that something should, be, should take place. After 50 years, it's enough time, folks. But we have to make a good deal, and we have to get rid of all the litigation that's going to happen. This was just a little story, but it was a big story to me. Because they said, oh, here we go. We make a deal, then we get sued for a tremendous amount of money for reparations. So I want to do something, but it's got to be done intelligently. We have to make a good deal. Senator Ruby, I know you want to get in, but just to be clear, Mr. Trump, are you saying that if you were president, you would continue the diplomatic relations or would you reverse them? I would want to make a good deal. I would want to make a strong, solid, good deal, because right now everything is in Cuba's favor. Right now, everything, every single aspect of this deal is in Cuba's favor. It's the same way as the Iran deal. We never walked. We never, we, all we do is but keep giving. We give Mr. and Trump, give Mr. Trump, just to give. be clear, there is an embassy that you would have to decide whether it would be open or whether you would close it. Which would it be? In I would, Havana. I would probably uh, have the embassy closed until such time as a really good deal was made and struck by the United States. All right. First of all... The, uh, the embassy is the former consulate. It's the same building, so it could just go back to being called a consulate. We don't have to close it that way. Second of all, I don't know where Cuba's going to sue us, but if they sue us in a court in Miami, they're going to lose. Third, uh, third uh, on the issue of, of a good deal, I know what the good deal is. I'll tell you what the good deal now is already codified. Here's a good deal. Cuba has free elections. Cuba stops putting people in jail for, for speaking out. Cuba has freedom of the press. Cuba kicks out the Russians from Lourdes and kicks out this Chinese listening station in Behukal. Cuba stops helping North Korea invade UN sanctions. Cuba takes all of those fugitives of American justice, including that cop killer from New Jersey, and send her back to the United States and to jail where she belongs. And you know what? We can have a relationship with Cuba. Thank That's a good deal. Thank you, Senator Rubio. Senator Cruz. If you become president... Marco was then asked about the violence at Trump's rallies. A couple points. The first is, I'm concerned about violence in general in this society. And by the way, the first people that are facing that violence are our law enforcement officers. And they deserve our respect and they deserve our thanks for what the, they deserve our thanks for everything they do for us. On the issue of anger, yes, people are angry. Of course they're angry. Every institution in America has been failing us for the better part of 20 or 30 years. 
But leadership is not about using the anger. The leadership is about using the anger to motivate us, not to define us, but to motivate us to take action. Being here in Miami special, my grandfather lived with us most of our life, uh, most of his life while I was growing up, and he would sit in the porch of our home and tell me all kinds of stories and things I learned about history. My grandfather was born in 1899 before there were airplanes in the sky. One night in the summer of 1969, he watched a man set foot on the moon. You know what he said when he saw that? He said, Americans can do anything. Americans can do anything. There is no problem before us we cannot solve, and we can solve it if we come together in a serious way in this generation Thank you, and embrace all of the principles that made us great to Thank begin you, with. Senator. Towards the end of the debate, Marco gave perhaps one of his most moving answers of any debate. Let me tell you what this election is about for me. And I, I get all the delegate math and all that debate. Let me tell you what it's about for me. On Tuesday night, I didn't do as well, obviously, as I wanted to, and I was a little bit disappointed when I went home. And my wife told me a story that night, which is the reason why I can get up the next day and keep fighting. There's a gentleman here in South Florida who just got out of surgery, and his doctors told him he needs to be home resting. But every afternoon, he takes his little aluminum chair and he sits outside of an early polling center and holds a sign that says Marco Rubio. Because for him, I symbolize all the sacrifices that his generation made so their children could have a better life than themselves. That gentleman has not given up on me, and I am not going to give up on him. I am going to work tirelessly every single day, because this election is too important. What's at stake is the future of this country. And I believe, I believe that at the end of this process, this nation will make the right choice. Because I've always believed that God has blessed America, that God's hand is upon this country, and that its greatest days are yet to come. Thank you, Senator. Let's turn back to... He wrapped up the debate with this powerful closing statement. It is great to be here back at home in Miami. It's hard to believe that just two decades ago, my father was just a bartender working in this city. And now he stands on the stage here as a candidate for the highest office in the land. My parents never wanted me to go into politics in particular or anything else. They just wanted me to have to be the opportunity to live out all the dreams they once had for themselves. And that was possible because America is a special country. But that was not an accident. America is great because each generation before us did what needed to be done. They solved their problems. They confronted their challenges. They embraced their opportunities. And for over two centuries, each generation has left the next better off. Now the moment has arrived for our generation to do our part. And I'm telling you tonight, if you vote for me here in Florida and everywhere across this country on Tuesday, when I'm elected president, this generation will do its part. We will do whatever it takes to ensure that our children inherit from us what we inherited from our parents the single greatest nation in the history of all of mankind. Marco caught up with CNN's Wolf Blitzer after the debate to recap his big hometown win. The key takeaway? A vote in Florida for anyone besides Marco is a vote for Trump. Senator Rubio, thanks very much for joining us. Civilized today, uh, no personal attacks. So what happened? Well, first of all, I think it's credit to CNN. I mean, you ask policy questions. A lot of those attacks come from when they say so-and-so said this about you. How do you respond? So uh, I think there's a lot of credit to CNN that goes into that, number one. I think, number two, it's, you know, I think the voters deserve that kind of debate. We haven't had a substantive debate like that in quite a while. And it's important uh, to, to really dig deep on these issues. And there were contrasts tonight on that stage, but they were policy contrasts. And I thought that was a real service to the voters and the viewers that were watching. You were blunt uh, the other day, uh, I think yesterday, in acknowledging that you shouldn't have gone down to that personal level yeah. in that last debate, the debate before. And you even said your kids were embarrassed. They were. And 
uh, and I'll never do that again. And, and it, again, not, Donald deserves criticism on all the other issues regarding Trump University and all that's fair game, and that needs to be examined. And I don't back off that at all. But when it comes to some of the personal stuff, and I regret doing that very much, and I'll never do that again. Uh, do you think that hurt you in terms of going ahead? I don't know, ahead? but whether, it didn't, doesn't matter politically. I can just tell you I, I didn't think it was a good a reflection of my faith and what it teaches me and how I need to live. And it's not the kind of candidate I want to be. And more importantly, my kids and my wife were not happy about it either, and, and rightfully so. What did so they say to you? They were just embarrassed by it. And I, I, again, I, I'll, whose idea was it to do that? I don't think it was an idea. I think it was me responding to insults that he had made. But I just look. I'm never going back into that gutter again. Uh, it really, I, I, from now on, our campaign is going to be about what I've always wanted it to be about, and what it's been about the whole time. But for you know, one day, I guess. Yeah. Well, this was a really substantive, important debate on the critically most important issues, uh, and I think all of us were pleased by that. Uh, what was the biggest issue from your perspective that makes you more qualified to be president well, than the three others? Well, first of all, I think on the issue of Social Security, have you heard the question that was asked? Donald's numbers just don't add up. I mean, you can't just say, I'm going to save Social Security by going against fraud and abuse and foreign aid. The numbers aren't there. And I think if you're running for president, you're the front runner of the party, by the way, you have a real obligation an answer about that question. The, the Democrats will make mincemeat out of you if you don't, and, and of course the country deserves better. So I think that in and of itself was a very important question and one that was answered tonight on my part that he did not. And so I thought that was a real uh, moment I hope voters will focus in on. You think he's qualified, Donald Trump, to be commander-in-chief? I don't believe he is at this moment. Obviously anyone can learn and change over time, but I don't believe he's qualified to be commander-in-chief on day one. I think you saw that here tonight as well on the issues of foreign policy. He's talking about a deal with Cuba as if it was some sort of you know, real estate deal that they're going to sue us on, that, that, or, or on, on Israel, where I don't think he realizes that his position is anti-Israel. It, it is my sincere and deep belief, and I know this to be true, that if we, in fact, pressure Israel to a negotiating table, it weakens them in the region and actually emboldens their enemies. So I thought, I thought those things tonight, I think, evidence a, a true lack of foreign policy understanding. And, you know, voters should care about that a lot because you're commander-in-chief on day one. You can always reverse domestic policies, but you make a mistake in foreign policy, the consequences are grave. I suspect you still believe you can win in your home state oh, we're of Florida, Florida on Tuesday. We are, and I think one of the reasons why is because, for example, a growing number of voters now recognize there are people in Florida that like John Kasich and they like Ted Cruz. But I'm the only one that can beat Donald Trump in Florida. So even people watching in Florida that are that like Ted Cruz or John Kasich, if you vote for them in Florida, you're voting for Donald Trump. The majority of Floridians do not want Donald Trump to be our nominee. And I'm just saying vote strategically on that. Now, we've got obviously a lot of supporters ourselves. They all have to come out and vote. But if you're a supporter of John Kasich or Ted Cruz, a vote for them in Florida is, is going to be, in effect, a vote for, Ted, for, for Donald Trump. John, John Kasich says if he loses his home state of Ohio on Tuesday, he's out of this race. If you lose Florida next Tuesday, are you out of this well, race? Well, I won't put it that way. What I'll say to you is I believe the Republican nominee needs to win Florida. I believe the winner of the Florida primary will be the Republican nominee, and I'm in this race to be the Republican nominee. So I intend to win Florida, and then we'll make decisions after that. But uh, my intention is to win in Florida. We already have events moving forward into Utah and Arizona. We have great teams there on the ground, and uh, we're going to win Florida. It's going to be tough. It's going to be close. It's going to be a lot of hard work. But this state, uh, I, I, I know, I'm, you know, this state believed in me five years ago, and I'm asking them to believe in me again. We'll turn this country around, and they will. They will vote for me. Senator Rubio, thanks very much for thanks joining us. The stakes for Marco were high, but it was clear that Marco won the debate. Here's Gloria Borger on CNN. I thought he had a great debate tonight. Yeah, a strong yeah. night. I thought he, he said, you yeah. know, I don't believe in political correctness. I believe in being correct. Right? That was a great. Yeah. That was a great line for him, and he was substantive. 
And here's Brett Baer on Fox News talking about Marco's incredible answer on Cuba. Well, listen, that was home court advantage, obviously, for Senator Rubio, and um, and he hit it out of the park. That was a great answer for him. Overall, structurally, I think Marco Rubio had a, a good debate. But don't just take it from the pundits. CNN asked their focus group of undecided Florida voters about the debate. They really liked the tone of the debate. That was the one thing, and they heard a lot of substance, which they were really happy about. But let me ask you first here, just off the top, who thought um, that Marco Rubio was the most presidential tonight? Raise your hand. Quite a bit of you. Who thought that Donald Trump came off as the most presidential? Just three of you. And Ever wonder what it feels like to be in the crowd at one of these debates? We talked to our debate contest winner. Here's the interview. We are joined now by Natalie from Miami. She was at the GOP debate last night. And Natalie, how was uh, being there in person? Thank you for having me on. Uh, it was very exciting. There was a lot of life. Uh, I had never been at a live taping of any show before. Um, there was a lot of energy in the room. There was a lot of, uh, you know, people from different uh, parties and different um, candidates, and it was it was very very exciting. It was exciting to see the people that you see on TV, you know, on CNN, live in front of you. Uh, it was a great experience. So, how was being there in person? I know you mentioned it a little bit. Being there is is different than seeing it on TV. How was seeing Marco in person? Uh, seeing Marco was great. I was very impressed by his performance. Um, it was, it, it was uh, very, it, you know, I was very proud to see him um, in live in my home city and in his home city. So it was a very um, emotional moment, you know, for, for everyone from there, I'm sure, and everyone that supported him. Um, and I believe that, you know, he was the, the candidate, the only candidate who actually understands the issues and offers the most feasible solutions to them. Um, but overall, I was really, really impressed by his performance. What was your favorite moment there at the debate? Uh, I just really have two moments that stood out for me. Uh, first of all, when Marco corrected Trump on being politically correct, and he said, I'm worried about being correct, not politically correct. I think that was that was an awesome moment for him. And also when he spoke about the, um, the issues of establishing relations with Cuba, um, I know that the... Uh, the arena basically erupted at that moment. That's a critical issue for us here in Miami and as a daughter of Cuban immigrants. It meant a lot to me that he understands um, the issue behind that. And he demonstrated that it's not about, it's not only about establishing relations and, and being, um, having economic, economic relations with them, but it is about making things right. So he really proved that he is a candidate who understands the issues and he's not going to go forth, you know, with what he feels is the best option or he actually is going to evaluate the issues and, and make the best option, not only for the uh, economy, but for the people. So as someone who lives there in Miami and in Florida, you think those kinds of issues, those are the ones that are going to resonate with voters as they head to the polls? I definitely think that's a big issue that's going to resonate here in South Florida. Um, you know, it's important for candidates and for anyone involved in those issues to understand, you know, the emotional repercussions and what happened, you know, in, in that, in Cuba and what, what made everyone leave. Um, and it's important for, for any candidate that's going to be in the, in the uh, you know, in the office of the president to understand the critical issue behind that because a lot of people were very affected. So I definitely think that's going to be a critical issue going into, um, you know, March 15th. And you thought that Donald Trump didn't really show that 
he was very up to speed on that issue? Definitely not. He just went back to the same, you know, the same thing he always says. I have a lot of friends in Miami. I have a lot of properties in Miami. That doesn't matter. You can know everybody that you, you say you know, but if you don't understand what really impacts people here, you know, no one's going to pay attention to you. It, he, he didn't have a real answer, in my opinion. Um, and I think that he was a little bit scared of, you know, being on Marco's home turf because, you know, if you notice, he didn't really, he stopped taking shots at him. He wasn't really taking shots at him last night because he knew it was the wrong place to, to mess with Marco. How was it when you found out that you won? I was so excited. At first, I thought they were just calling me from, like, a campaign office, you know, to ask for my support. And, you know, when, when they told me I had won, I, I think I almost screamed. <laughs> I was really, really excited. I had never won anything in my life. Um, so it was, it was just perfect, you know. I felt like it was fate that I got picked to go to the debate. Um, and I was over the moon. I was ec- ecstatic to be able to go. Yeah, and you're out there in Florida, and of course Florida is getting ready to vote on Tuesday. I mean, how are you uh, feeling uh, there right now? Is it is it kind of exciting heading up to the primary? It's very exciting. Um, I think that here, especially in South Florida, the people are really in favor of Marco. Uh, you, you can feel, you know, almost in the air how excited everyone is for this primary. It's been building up for a long time, and we know that Florida is going to be, and, and especially South Florida, is going to be a critical moment for, for him and a critical moment in the election overall. We know that all eyes are on Florida, all eyes are on, on South Florida to see how it turns out because this might be the game changer. It might be the moment where everything changes for the election. Well, all eyes are certainly on Florida. Thank you, Natalie, for joining us. Thank you. If you want the chance to be at the next debate, just head to MarcoRubio.com and enter your email, and we'll email you about the next contest. On the next episode of The Audible, we'll have all the news from the campaign trail in Florida. Be sure to subscribe to The Audible on iTunes, and leave a rating and a review so even more people can hear Marco's message. Don't forget, we're now taking listener questions. Just email us at podcast at MarcoRubio.com. For daily campaign updates delivered straight to your inbox, Subscribe to the daily kickoff email at marcorubio.com slash kickoff.